This is an Our Savior Evangelical Free Church podcast. To learn more, visit osefc.org. All right, Colossians. Colossians, a new study in the book of Colossians begins this morning. So Lord willing, this takes us through 2022. Uh, We're going to take a couple of breaks, but we will be in here. I think right now we've got this timed out for about 18 weeks. We'll see how it goes. But I wanted to start out, I've got four reasons why I think it's good that we study Colossians together, particularly right now. So let's look at these. Uh, Number one, Colossians is a book about the supremacy of the Son of God. You'll see that right away from the first chapter. At At a time that we're in right now, when so many things will battle for our attention and our affections... And when there is much, 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 much to distract us, Colossians over and over again calls us back to look at Jesus and to marvel at him. So this is a book about looking at Jesus. Uh, Reason number two, Colossians is full of hope and we can never have too much heavenly hope. We never will reach a point of saying, Okay, that's enough. I'm too encouraged. I'm overly uplifted. My hope is too much laid up in heaven. You can't have too much hope in heaven. It will never be a waste of our time to come together and hear more of the hope of God in Jesus Christ. Number three, Colossians is a book of action. So chapters one and two just make much of the glory of Christ. And then chapter three says, if you are a Christian, set your minds on things beyond this world. And because Jesus is beyond this world, on the flip side, it says, put to death whatever's lowly and whatever therefore is temporary. So it's a book of action. Fourth reason to look at Colossians, it's a book of comfort. This book is written to a group of young Christians feeling lowly and unsteady in their faith and a great apostle who knows very much about lowliness, what it feels like to feel insufficient and inadequate. He writes to them and says, the grace of God is real. His peace is changing you. And you have much evidence among you that he has redeemed you and he will never leave you. And so it is a comforting book to be reminded that God has been at work in your life. And he's still working in your life now. And so I want to begin by reading this great letter in Colossians 1 verse 1. And so if you have your Bible open, Colossians 1 verse 1 is where we're going to start, fittingly. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. So a couple of times I just called that a book. It said four reasons to read this book. Colossians was originally sent as a letter. Much of the New Testament is actually letters. 
Most of them are, are written by apostles. Apostles were men who were personally chosen by Jesus Christ to lead the early church and spread the good news of his death and resurrection. So most of the apostles are men who are drawn from Jesus' closest circle of friends. There were 12 men known as his disciples. He had more disciples, but there were 12 that are identified, his closest followers. One betrays him, so he needs to be replaced. He's taken out of the group, and he needs to be replaced. And then another one, after his ascension into heaven to, the right, to sit at the right hand of the Father, Jesus appears to this man, calls him to faith in Christ, he turns from his wicked ways of sin and persecution of the church, and he becomes a great missionary and church planter and pastor. And that's who wrote this letter. Originally, his name was Saul. He came from a, a prominent Jewish family. For the first part of his life, he, he found the claim that Jesus was the Son of God, died on the cross, risen to new life. He found that so offensive and even dangerous that he made it his life's mission to snuff out any belief in that, even going so far as to order the execution of people who believed that Jesus had risen from the dead. Actually, so he was, he was on his way to do that in a, in a city that still exists today. It's in modern-day Syria called Damascus. When Jesus just appeared to him in a very supernatural way, and then he was converted at that point, which means he, was, he repented of his sins, and, and the rest of his life was the complete opposite from the first portion of his life. He gave everything he had to preaching the gospel and to building up Christians and their churches. And so we get his name now as Paul. Jesus changed his name when all that happened to mark the difference. And so this man knows a thing or two about receiving the grace of God. In another letter, Paul says that he was the foremost of sinners, yet God showed mercy to him. And so much of the latter part of, of Paul's life falls into one or two, kind of one of two categories. He, he made several missionary journeys. So he, he was mostly moving around what we would today on a modern map call Turkey and Greece. And then, in, so in those places he planted churches and he converted people to Christ. And then what happened in the latter part of his life is he was arrested for stirring up controversy with his preaching and he was shipped to Rome, capital of the Roman Empire, where he waited for several years under a house arrest for trial. And during his time in Rome, he was allowed to see people and, and send letters. And many of the letters that we have in our New Testament come during his imprisonment, including Colossians. So he writes this letter from Rome, probably if you kind of want to orient yourself to the rest of the New Testament, it probably goes out and is carried with Ephesians and Philemon, and that happens either, depending on how you date some things, in 52 or 55 AD. Now this letter goes to Colossae, This is not a big city. It's in Greece, modern day, 
Well, it's not really in Greece in the sense that all, if you were to go to Colossae right now, all you would find is a few piles of rubble. There was a, a large earthquake in that part of the world, actually not long after this letter was written, probably five, six, seven years after this letter was written, a big earthquake that devastated this region. Colossae probably suffered greatly and was never rebuilt. So people did not live in this city for much longer than we have recorded in this letter. But I think as as I was kind of pondering that this last week, it occurred to me, it kind of was a reminder to me that places that can seem unimportant and groups of people even that are small can have huge impacts if, if that's what God means for them. And so if you feel like maybe this is a small thing, maybe you're part of a small group, maybe, maybe there's only a few of the Christians you know living your life for the glory of Christ, take heart from Colossians. It's a city that doesn't even exist anymore, but it will have an impact forever and ever and ever because the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to these great Christians, and we believe that they were ardent, true, honest Christians living there. And so now let's see what he says to them, verse 3. He says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you. As indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it it also does among you, since the day you heard it and you understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit." This is where we're going to stop for this week. So this is a a great way to begin a letter. And we can take so much from this here. Now, as with every book of the Bible, there can be so much. I mean, there's so much that we could draw out of it. But what I want to do is I want to focus on just a few great things this morning from the way that Colossians opens up. The thing that is most apparent, I think that would jump out to all of us as we read this, is how much God wants to celebrate, sorry, how much Paul wants to celebrate the work of God in the lives of these Christians and how he wants them to be encouraged and assured that God is really working among them. So I think that's what Paul was hearing. So people were bringing news to Paul. Remember, he's in prison in Rome. He he can't really leave much. He's imprisoned in Rome, and people are bringing him reports of the Colossian church and what he's hearing. And if you're anything like me, you'll feel the same way, that the Colossian Christians had received the gospel. They'd been converted. They were growing, but they were also wondering whether or not God was really working in their midst. So if you are anything like me, you'll resonate with with this place in life a little bit. Life is is full of challenges. Sometimes I feel equipped, ready to, to meet those challenges 
But at many other points, I, I feel like I don't have even a single thing that makes me feel ready to, to meet whatever challenge is in front of me. And the only thing in those moments that will encourage me is to know, to be reminded of, to remember that God's there with me in it, that he is at work in me, and that my hope is secure in him. Sometimes that is the only hope that helps us to face what we have in front of us. I mean, life can bring some stuff. But the confidence that God is at work in that, through it, can make all the difference between whether you will fold under the weight of that or you'll feel like you can keep going. And we have Colossians to be reminded that God's at work in you and you can keep going. So a big part of Paul's encouragement of the Colossians here is to remind them and assure them that God and his grace are upon them. And I think we see in these verses at least three evidences of God's grace upon the Colossians. And for us, when we wonder, is God's grace at work among us, we can look similarly at these three evidences. So here's kind of how I want to arrange this. First, I want us to see that where God's grace is present, he grants faith. Where his grace is present, he grants faith. Number two, where his grace is at work, people grow in love. People grow in love where his grace is at work. And third, he gives hope. So those are at least three huge encouragements that I see here. The grace of God at work grants faith, grows love, and gives hope. And if you look back at verse 3, Paul starts with with thanking God. And it's important that we see that, that all three of these things, faith, love, and hope, come after Paul points to, Paul thanks God for these things. They all begin with God. So let's start with with faith. You might think that the way salvation works is for God to make a a way for you to be saved through the death and resurrection of Jesus, but then God leaves it in our hands. He, He stands back to watch and see whether or not you will come to faith. If you think that, you are mistaken. Faith comes as a gift from God. So Ephesians 2.8, for instance, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. So Paul prays and thanks God for the Colossians' faith in Jesus Christ. Just about every time our elders meet, you saw two of them up here, Dave and Dave, or with Tim and I, and every time we meet, just about every time, we pray for members of our congregation. And what we do that is we get the, the picture directory out. It's one of the reasons we like doing the picture directory, because we can pray for you by name, by face, and we find the place that we left off last meeting, 
We spend a couple of minutes together scanning the pictures and the names and talking about what we might like to pray for you and wondering if there's any needs in your life that we might like to share among one another so we might pray more effectively. And then we begin to pray. We pray for, for all kinds of things. But what you will hear our elders probably pray most often over you, just in private, five guys in a room praying for you, is probably more than any single thing. We will pray and we will thank God for saving you by grace through faith. And the reason is more than anything else you can point to, faith in Christ is evidence that God is at work in your life. If you have faith in Christ, you will find nothing else in all the Bible, in all the world, in all your life that will point to God working in your life than to say you have faith in Jesus Christ. So quite often as a pastor, I will have people come and want to talk with me kind of out of their grief over their sin. So they will be, they'll come and they'll be struggling with something. They want to talk with me about it. And also often, they will kind of come questioning whether or not because of whatever it is that they're struggling with, usually something that they've struggled with for a long time, they'll wonder if, if God is angry with them or done with them or are they just kind of on the edge of God saying, enough. This person has disobeyed me, has trampled all over my grace for the last time. I just want nothing else to do with them. And one of my greatest joys as a pastor is to ask, do you believe in Jesus? Now, it's important that we be clear when we say, believe in Jesus, what we mean. So here's what I, what I mean when I ask that question. When I say, do you believe in Jesus? I mean, do you believe that Jesus is the son of God in the flesh, that he died in the place of sinners, he defeated death by his resurrection, and he calls people everywhere to repent of their sins and live by faith in him. That's, that's the question that I'm asking. And to anybody then, anybody here, anybody listening who hears that and says, yes, I can tell you with absolute certainty that God is not done with you. I am more certain of that than I am of anything else in all the world, that if you believe in Jesus, his death and resurrection, God's not done with you. Because when he brought you to faith in Christ, he began a good work in you. And Philippians 1.6 says that he will be faithful to complete the good work that he started in us. God finishes what he starts. And if you have faith in him, he will persevere you in faith all the way to the end. So thank God for your faith. If you're here this morning discouraged, wondering if you are even a Christian, if you're here by faith, with faith, then you are. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you are redeemed, you are being saved, and God will not ever take his grace from you. 
So Paul prays and thanks God for the gift of their faith and our faith. Next, Paul thanks God for the love that they have for all the saints. The grace of God at work will grow love. No two ways about it. So pay attention to the order here. It's important. The order is important. First, new life in Christ starts through faith. But among the things that come after faith should be love. Love is not an optional part of the Christian life. Love is not a gift that some Christians have but other Christians lack. All Christians should be loving Christians. Uh, Galatians 5, 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Did you hear that? Only faith working through love. So what that means is you can know all about the Bible. You can sing the songs. You can come to church often. But if you aren't growing in love for other people, it would be fair to ask if your faith is genuine. And I don't say that to make you doubt your faith. But in the face of the, of the Colossians wondering what assurance they may have that God is among them. Paul doesn't pick out growing ministry programs. He doesn't say, well, they needed to put a building addition on because they had so many people. He says, if you want evidence, look, you love each other. You love each other is his evidence that God is at work among them. It's not numeric. It's not influence. It's not web hits and social media traffic. It's do you love each other? And so if you want to know if the grace of God is upon you, look at your growth in love. And and let's just take a minute here. It's really easy to find things to get angry and divide over. People do it every single day. And every once in a while, division is inevitable. But anger and division is so rarely the way of Christ. So the beginning of 1 Corinthians, which you hear read at weddings a lot, it's the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, starts off by saying, you can have all sorts of giftedness, and you can be really smart. But if you don't have love, you're not just missing something, you've missed the point entirely. It's probably been the thing that, that's burdened me more over the past couple of years th- than anything else. It's, it's men and women claiming to be on the side of biblical truth, but they display none of God's heart for people. God loves people. God really, really loves people. And if it's not apparent that somebody else does either, I'm not sure they're speaking with the mind and the heart of Christ. Uh, A verse in in 1 Peter 4 kind of echoes and then adds to a a famous Old Testament proverb. 1 Peter 4.8 says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers over a multitude of sins. And then there's a third way that, that we can know that, that God's grace is at work among us. And that's by looking forward to the hope of heaven. 
So Paul thanks God for granting faith, for growing the Colossians in love. And then he says that because of the grace of God, we have hope. Friends, apart from the grace of God, we are hopeless. Our hearts are hard stone, cold and lifeless, and he is the only one that can turn them to flesh and give us a heartbeat. And when God gives you hope, when he grants faith, he does that now and he does it forever. Paul says that our hope is laid up in heaven. I wonder if you hear that and we kind of think, that a hope laid up in heaven translates to meaning, well, that's nice. Someday, probably way in the future, something good will happen to me. So I have a hope laid up in heaven, but right now, life stays hard for a good long while. Uh, That's like our hope being put on layaway. Uh, Stores don't do this a whole lot anymore, but do you remember when you could put something on layaway? That what that would mean is you would go to the customer service desk at the store and you would say, hey, I'd like to buy this item. And they would hold it for you and you would come in and you would make payments on it until you'd paid enough to have the item. But they would reserve it for you. It would be yours. You're just making payments on it. So maybe we hear, well, that's how our hope is laid up, laid away in heaven. Friends, that's not how our hope in heaven works. Our hope in heaven is given to us right away. Even though we're never going to earn enough. We're never going to buy. Even though our, 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 you'd say our credit is bad, we have no ability to pay this back. Despite the fact that we're shopping in a store filled with things that we could never afford, we could never afford the riches of heaven. Despite all of that, what God actually says is, your money's no good here. Take the hope of heaven now. It's not laid up in the sense that it's laid away. The the thrust of that Greek word actually says that our hope is laid up in the sense that it's appointed. In other words, it's yours. It's been reserved for you and no one else. It's secure. Once God has said something is given, we just covered this with the work of God being complete in Christ Jesus. Once God has said something has been given, once it's been brought to you by faith, it will never be taken away. And so the way that our hope is laid up in heaven is not that we get the hope of heaven someday, way, way, way after today. To say that our hope is laid up in heaven means that we have hope now, today, in this moment. You have more hope than anything else the world has to offer you. That's the sense in which your hope is laid up in heaven. You could look around at all the things that a person might hope for in the world. None of them hold a candle 
to the hope that is laid up for you in heaven. And we can live by this hope now. To one degree or another, every one of us worries about our future. We do. We, we worry about the future. But let's just say there are two basic ways to, to worry about the future. Uh, the first option is to worry without the hope of heaven. When we worry without the hope of heaven, we worry how this all turns out. We're sweating to know if we will do enough, be good enough. And if that's what life is like, if we're just sweating it out, we're never actually going to know. If life is some kind of balance sheet between good and bad, you'll never feel like you have it weighted enough in your favor to feel safe and rest. That's the truth. If you look at life like a balance sheet, you'll never feel like you can rest. On the other hand, while you're still not going to know everything the future holds, in Christ, if your hope is in him, you'll know at least two things about the future and about your hope, and they're probably the two most important things to know. First, you never have to wonder if you've done enough because you can rest peacefully. This is how you rest, peacefully in the assurance that Jesus has done enough and he's credited what he's done to you. Second thing, you'll still be surprised by much of what the future holds, but you will experience that surprise certain that Christ is with you now then, and one day you will be with him forever. It doesn't take away the uncertainties of life, but it brings an assurance that no matter what uncertain things happen, Christ is with you and for you. And I want to close with, with one more thing I see at the beginning of this letter. So part of Paul's encouragement about faith, hope, and love is to say that, that what happened in Colossae is, is happening all over the world. So that the reason that the gospel bearing fruit and increasing is a key part of this opening is because living this way, living by faith, being a person known for tender, sacrificial love, being a person who hopes in things entirely different from the things offered by this world, that will be... Very countercultural. You might be the only Christian at work. You might be the only Christian at school or on the block. And not only can that be lonely, but when you're the only Christian, there's actually opportunity for a seed of doubt. You ever experienced this? You might wonder is, is life in Jesus real or, or am I just kidding myself? Nobody else is living this way. Have I missed, am I missing something that everybody else seems to get? And so that's why Paul says, no, it's real. Life in Christ is real. In fact, people all over the world are seeing how real it is. If you wonder, 
So, so let's say this. Faith in Jesus is personal. But faith in Jesus is never meant to be done alone. We have a communal faith, not a lonely faith, a communal faith. If you ever wonder, if, if you're the only one trying to live by faith in Christ, the answer is no, you're not. Still today, God is working in the lives of people all over the world. And, he, and he's at work in the lives of people in this church. It's one of the reasons it's so good to be together. The world around us can make it seem like it's crazy to be a Christian. It really can. Like, like we're somehow crazy for believing in this man who lived and, and died and supposedly rose from the dead a couple of thousand years ago. And so we're going to do strange things, like give our money away and love other people even when they hurt us. And we're going to spend our free time blessing people who can never possibly repay us with anything of earthly value. And so we're here to remind one another. God has given us together, put us together to remind one another that this is not a strange way to live. It's a way to live that's more real, more true, more authentic than anything that this world can put together. To the glory and praise of God, today, throughout the day, mostly on the, in the morning, but all throughout the day as the time zones pass all over the world, hundreds of millions of people will be in gatherings just like this. Christ will be glorified. They will so we used to say in the church that, that I grew up in, they will pass the peace of Christ between one another. They will remind one another, God's peace is upon you. Hope is real. Heaven is yours. And as the week ahead looks tough, as we just came off a week behind us, full of things that made us wonder if we can even do the next one, we will gather together. We will sing of the praise and the glory of Christ. And we will remember that by faith, evidence through love, we have a real and eternal and a sure hope. God's peace to you, for he has given it through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord in heaven, giver of faith, may we live this day and forward as though our hope is secure in heaven. And when we might waver in that conviction, meet us with grace, tenderness, and love. For you are that in abundance, forever and ever. Amen. Our Savior is a congregation located in Wheeling, Illinois. Our vision can be summed up in four words. Building community, bringing Christ. To learn more about this vision and our hope for our neighborhood, visit us online at osefc.org.